Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banner Podcast, where birders talk birding. We are well into fall here. The evenings are getting earlier, uh, the days and nights are getting colder, and it's a time when vagrants show up in the western U.S. Vagrants are birds that are probably common, almost always common somewhere, but not common where they're found. Uh, A vagrant is a bird that generally lives, migrates, uh, exists in a certain part of the world, but shows up somewhere where it's not seen very often. It's rare. It's vagrant from where it belongs. Well, vagrancy is most common, it seems, in passerines, small perching birds or perching birds, in western U.S. in the late fall, from, say, the beginning to the middle of October on into November. And we are getting into that time of year now. Last weekend, it seemed like, was snow bunting day, or snow bunting days in western Washington. Snow buntings just seem to be popping up everywhere. Now, if you go to the Okanagan or to much of eastern Washington in the winter, snow buntings are just ordinary birds. They're, I mean, they may be a little bit hard to find, but you see big flocks. They're here and there. They love the wheat stubble and the big open areas. But in western Washington, they're not common at all. Uh, but right around this time of year, some years, seems like they show up here and there. Well, last weekend, there were two or three in King County. There was one in Skagit County. And sure enough, Will Brooks, my guest on the Bird Banner podcast, episode 19, found one at Dunes Peninsula. A lot of us got up to see that. It was a very obliging bird hopping around in the Yacht Club parking lot and bouncing around on the rocks at the, at the point at Dune. And we got nice looks at it. So it was fun to add to our county year list. I think it was only the second snow bunting I've seen in Pierce County. Well, I bring this up in part because a lot of birders, almost all birders to varying degrees, are listers. We keep track of what we see. We keep lists. A lot of us have a yard list, a list of birds seen where we live. A lot of us have county lists, both in our home county and some of us in all the counties in our whole state or even other states. State lists are common. Uh, ABA lists are really common. ABA, the old ABA, was the U.S. and Canada and north of Mexico. Uh, The new ABA includes Hawaii, the world, of course, different countries. There are all sorts of places you can make a list in. And most of us keep life lists. Uh, A lot of us keep year lists also, usually for our home county, but sometimes for bigger areas like the state or even the whole United States or the world. Uh, And big years are the extreme listing for an area. Uh, If you try to find as many species in a certain area as you can in a year, you call it a big year. Uh, We have a little competition in Pierce County to do the best we can in Pierce County each year to find as many species as we can. And so it's not really a big year and there's not an uh, all-consuming quest to find the most birds in the county of the year. But we each keep track of our birds each year and it's a loose competition, uh, very cooperative competition, but competition. Well, big year birding is an obsession. Uh, and uh, there have been lots of big years that have gone on. 2016 was a huge big year in the ABA. There were several uh, competing uh, birders uh, racing around the whole United States and Canada trying to find as many species as they could. The book 
and the movie, The Big Year, was very popular. And uh, Sandy Comanito was famous for his two different ABA big years. So big years have been popular. Noah Stryka did a big year in the whole world. The following year, a European birder broke his world record for most species seen in a year. So big years are a, a well-known, popular thing in birding in the birding community. Well, my guest this episode uh, is Lynn Barber. Lynn is a big year birder over the top. Uh, she's done an ABA big year. She's done big years in Texas, in Alaska, in South Dakota. She's done big years lots of places. Uh, she holds the record for big year in Texas and Alaska and just wrote a book about that. Uh, that's just out now. We'll talk a little bit about that on the podcast episode this time. But Lynn is an over the top big year birder. Uh, and I'm really excited to have Lynn as my guest on the Bird Banner podcast episode number 79. Lynn, welcome to the Bird Batter Podcast. Thanks for being on with me today. Thank you very much. Yeah, you are quite an author. I, I, I know you just put out your third book. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but I thought you live in Alaska now, don't you? Do you live in Anchorage? I do. I live in Anchorage, have for about, oh, oh, six and a half, seven years, something like that. Okay. And I saw from your, uh, from your, in your book, I just got a copy of your Extreme Birder book from a used bookstore and saw that you've lived in a fair number of places. And so we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But Alaska, big state. How do you bird Alaska? What do you do for a typical year of birding in Alaska? Well, if you're trying to increase the number of species you see, you have to get on a plane a lot because there are not that many roads. And, and so the, there's a great diversity, you know, all the way from the islands off the west side of Alaska down to southeast Alaska, which is sort of like birding British Columbia. Um, and then all the way up to the north, there you, just, you have to fly. Um, so it's, it's expensive and, uh, and, you know, you just can't get in your car, which is what I would love to do best. Just, you know, pile all my stuff in the car and go someplace, but can't do that. Sure. And, and we're talking fairly small airplanes for some of these places, aren't we? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've in my Alaska big year it was my first time and more than once in a, in a, in a seaplane where I, you know, flew into yeah. someplace and then got on a little plane. And then sometimes the seaplane lands on the water and sometimes it goes in a regular airport port. But it's, you know, it's tiny and, you know, it's you, the pilot and maybe one or two other people. And that's it. So. Yeah, it makes me motion sick thinking about it. Yeah, well, I'd rather do that than go on a boat. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I have to say, I, my experience with small planes and boats, uh, I think I've learned how to not get sick on pelagic trips, but I don't think I've learned how to not get sick in little airplanes being bounced around. So yeah, at least maybe, little airplanes usually are over with quicker than you know a long a, a day or two long pelagic trip out on the ocean is. It just goes on forever. That is true. That is true. If you go that far in an airplane, you uh, you got to have some tankers or something to keep right. you in the air. Right. Anyway, uh, you did an Alaska big year. My goodness, what a, what an undertaking that has to be where you're flying all over the place. Tell me about that big year. I know you just wrote a book. and so We'll, we'll kind of get to that in a minute. But tell me about your Alaska big year. What was that? Well, when did you do that? And what was that like? Uh, that was uh, 2016. So, you know, four years ago. I had lived in Alaska a little while and I have done previous big years, a bunch of them in different, different places. And I was determined not to do one in Alaska because I thought, no, I don't know. And then I found out that really nobody had done a serious big year in Alaska so that whatever I did would be, you know, something. And so um, with a bit of encouragement and a, a whole lot of investigation of where to where birds might be and 
who was there because if you fly into some place you can't that you've never been you can't afford to just go exploring and look for stuff you have to find somebody that can help you if you can't if there's anybody there sure i had a big long list and and it turned out and i knew this but birders are extraordinarily helpful i mean there you know i had people sort of standing by pick me up from an airport or meet me someplace when i got there and it, it was it was great fun you know a little bit the weather of course is a big bigger problem up here than in many places because if you can't fly then you can't do it you can't just you know wait in right. place other than the airport i understand there's somebody actually t- was trying to do a big year this year in alaska but the pandemic you know i mean there's just yeah you know, really a, it's really a horrible thing for, for yeah. anybody in the whole u.s or anywhere trying to do a, a big year this year it was just out of luck. <laughs> yeah. I had one of my guests, uh, John Patton Moss, uh, was doing a unicycle powered big year of, oh, of all the uh, absolutely nuts <laughs> things to do. Uh, try to try to ride around the whole, you know, lower 48 on a unicycle. Uh, and and he, he started in, in Olympia, Washington on the 1st of January, he was doing quite nicely until he uh, right. kind of got stranded by COVID in the middle of California in March and kind of had to bag it. But definitely uh, couldn't do that up here. <laughs> oh, Lord, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's for you sure. You have to have water wings and, you know. <laughs> the distances and the road conditions, not, not or, prone or to no, that. Or no roads. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so where are some of your favorite places in Alaska to go? What what do you, well, yeah, if you have a, a little money and a little time, where, where would you want to go? Well, I was hoping this year to go to one of my favorite places, uh, even though I had no intention of doing a big year, and that's St. Paul Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always tell people that if, especially if like if you have a spouse that you like to go travel with, and the spouse is not a, a, a nutty birder like you might mm-hmm. be, um, St. Paul is wonderful because it's so scenic and the, you can just walk to the edge of the world, it seems like, and look down and there are nesting puffins and, you know, big birds, gorgeous, beautiful birds close up. You don't even need a telephoto lab. And, and then there's you can go look at seals and the baby seals. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, you know, it's expensive to get there and be there. Um, but it's really good. And sort of a side benefit is that the native corporation that owns the 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 whole place there's a beautiful uh, a wonderful actually not beautiful uh, cafeteria uh, owned by trident seafoods which is oh. one of the main seafood packers up here and all the workers from the cannery go there to eat and it's a it's a you know a buffet type spectacular fresh seafood every day and so you know it's amazing you know, you don't have any other choices that's where you go to eat but it's it's very good so yeah if you got to be stuck eating something, that you could have worse choices. Yeah. Good, good for you. So St. Paul, I'll keep that in mind. St. Paul is, it, it, I get all of the island sort of destinations in Alaska blurred in my head. I haven't been to any of them. There's Gamble and St. Paul, of course, Attu, which is kind of over the edge. Gamble's the one where you can see Russia from here. You li- literally can see Russia from okay. Island, which Gamble's on St. Lawrence Island. But uh, St. Paul is, the, is one of the um, Pribilof Islands. Okay. They're, they're sort of in the middle of nowhere, and it's the one of the four islands that that is normally birded. You can go other places, but I understand they in other places on the Pribilofs, but I understand they have fewer uh, facilities to you know mm-hmm. for, for birders. So, so which of the which of the which of the Alsons can you get uh, at St. Paul's? You can get uh, three or four three auklets that are nesting. You can get uh, two puffins and and uh, mirrors. So. Mm-hmm. You can, get all those easily 
Okay. And, and then there's nesting fulmars and uh, red leg uh, kittiwakes nesting. And, Very nice. Uh, red-faced cormorants. So cool. So it sounds like a great place to visit, and uh, and not not too uh, challenging from a logistics standpoint. Yeah, and it's also not too challenging for people who walk slowly or might have a cane. I think you couldn't mm-hmm. do it very well on a wheelchair, but but it's it's you know there's no there's you're not walking on mountains. You're walking through icky grass and icky vegetation that's hard to go through, but you can go through it, you know, slowly even if you aren't very mobile. So oh well, that's a plus too. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, so it, and they and they cart you around. You the St. Paul Island. If you go there, to, if you pay to get there, you also are paying for a guide and a and a and a van to take you around or a bus. So oh, okay, it's all, it's all part of the package. You don't have to go with a group. You can go on your own. I've never I've never gone with a group there. I've just gone. Okay, so I'll have to. Uh, hit you up more about it. So you just contact the the native group that's well, there. Yeah, and- yeah, so just look, just Google St. Paul Island tours, and and the, the guy that was going to be leading the the tour guides out there is is stuck here in Anchorage because of course nothing's happening out there this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he's a really good birder. I hope he's able to do it next year. <laughs> well, let's hope. So on your Alaska big year. You obviously were flying here and flying there. Do you do much in the winter there in a big year? I mean, I've heard, you know, oh, that yeah, yeah. In, in some parts of Alaska on the Christmas bird counts, they have, you know, two ravens. It's a Christmas yeah, right. bird well, I, I've done Christmas bird counts here in Anchorage. And, you know, the whole group with, you know, a whole bunch of people all over the place, you know, might get a total of like 40 species the whole time. But my big year, I started January 1st. I was planning sure. planning to just bird in Anchorage for a couple of days and then go down to Ketchikan and Juneau, which is milder. Mm-hmm. And there's right. a lot of birds there that are nowhere else in Alaska. But just before my last big year, a common potchard, which is a duck, which I had never sure. seen anywhere, was found in on Kodiak Island, just off in a lake on Kodiak Island. Wow. And I had not planned to go to Kodiak Island at all in my planning. Um, I changed my plans. I contacted the person who had found it this is December 30th. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I flew there on December 31st and spent New Year's Eve all by myself in a motel on Kodiak Island. And then I met with my rental car. I met the guy who had found it and we went off to, and, and my second bird, my first bird of the year was a bald eagle, which you can't, you just like, you know, you trip over can't them. Miss. Yeah. They're so common. But then my second bird of my Alaska big year was the common potchard. So that was Pretty cool. And so I, I planned, I, I made my reservation to stay two days in Kodiak, not thinking I would necessarily get it the first day. Right. But so I just went birding all around Kodiak and I got in those two days, 52 species because a lot of birds, you know, that's where they stay the winter waiting sure. farther north. And, you know, you get all sorts of wintering ducks and geese and shorebirds all over the place. Um, birds just, you know, everywhere. So it was very nice. An excellent way to start the year that I had not planned. Jump started you here, fell into that one nicely. Yeah. Yep. Good for you. What were some of the other highlights of your Alaska big year? Um, well, uh, there are a lot of them. I, mean, it's, I guess sort of one of the last birds of the year. During, during that same year, 2016, there were uh, four people at least doing uh, big years across the whole U.S. and Canada. And right. I, and I met them and ran into them a lot. And one of, one of them, Laura Keene, uh, and I became uh, pretty good friends. And so 
she was coming up to Alaska to get a bird that was found out on St. Lawrence Island that I had sort of thought, no, I don't know. By the end of the year, you sort of get sort of weary about the whole thing. And she said, are you going out to see the pine bunting? Which I I had never seen a pine bunting, you know, pine grow speaks pine, everything else, but not a pine bunting, which is Siberia and all over there bird. Sure. Um, And so, so I decided to, and she and I roomed together and went out there. And so that was, I think, I was close to the last bird of my big year, of my Alaska big year, a total you know, unexpected bonus. <laughs> so. Yeah, it sounds like uh, getting to know some of the other big year birders uh, was kind of a bonus of that year, too. It does. Yeah. And really, unless you really know an area well, it helps to know people all over the place you're, you're birding, as well as people that are also sharing with you the, the desire to go birding <laughs> and find sure. Uh, during some of my other big years, I have worked with, I, I knew when I knew more people here, I didn't know too many Alaskans before I started. But in Texas, I knew a number of Texans. And, and, and when I did my big year all, all across the US and Canada, I had a whole bunch of people lined up. And every time I planned a trip in advance, that wasn't a last minute trip, I would send out an email saying, I'm going, you know, I'm going to Arizona. Uh, in two weeks, you want to come along. And, you know, sometimes I would get people to come along on these trips and share expenses as well as sure. added eyesight. Exactly. Have it, having a handful of strong birders birding together increases the odds of finding things a lot over going by yourself. Exactly. And, and in Texas, when I did a big year, there was a woman who I didn't know at all, but when I announced prior to that tech big year that I was thinking of doing a big year and I was going to drive all around Texas to the perimeter of Texas in 10 days. She oh my said, goodness. She said, that's wonderful. I want, can I do it? And so she joined me and she had not planned to do a big year. And she and she and I both broke the previous record, uh, even though she sort of, you know, petered out towards the end. Still, we, it was a wonderful year and we, we, we really worked it. So it was great fun. It sounds like it. You, ha- you have to be one of the most prolific big year birders uh, in the ABA. I mean, I, I don't know of anyone else who's done big years in several states and the ABA. I mean, there probably are other people, but I don't know who they are. Well, you yeah, ha- Part of my lucky, the, my lucky falling into that is that my husband, for a lot of different reasons, decides he wants to change jobs and so <laughs> and so the, our our uh, strategy when that happens i have loved everywhere i've lived and so i'm always like kicking and screaming i don't want to leave but on the upside is i get to weed out places that aren't good birding places and only we only look at him finding a job someplace that has that i think would be good to bird so that and and might be a new place for you to bird yeah, exactly. So, I mean, a different part of the country, you know, preferably, and I grew up in the Midwest. So, so we haven't lived in the Midwest because, you know, I did that. I've done that. So. Been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm, by, by now I'm thinking it'd be fun to, you know, be there again. But, you know, so we've been, you know, all around the country because good birds. And I knew Alaska was great. So when that possibility opened up this time and I and he got the, he got the job. Good for you. That was wonderful. Are you still working or you're retired now? I retired this summer. The pandemic sort of in, you know, encourage me to do it because my clients are, are mostly not in Alaska. Um, sure. I do patent law, which is, is national. So I can, I can do patent law for anybody anywhere in the U S and I don't have to be licensed in their state. Oh, any, okay. I have to be licensed one state and I'm licensed in North Carolina and Texas right now. So I can, I can, that's good. So, but the, the business was dwindling down and, and, and I, you know, I'm old enough 
and then some to retire. So I thought, oh, this is a good time. And insurance for liability insurance for, for anybody and for attorneys, patent attorneys particularly, is very are very high the rates are very high. So mm-hmm. you know, you have to balance, you know, can you make as much in a year as you have to pay out in insurance? And when it looks like there's there's a question there, you think, now why am I doing this? <laughs> so For sure. I like retired life. I retired about three years ago. I'm oh, yeah. a family doctor and you know, being able to do what you want when you want is not a bad thing. Yeah, except for the pandemic. But anyway, that's, you know, but yeah, my, my, well, husband, my husband is a bit older than I am. He's still working. So, um, and, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, we're, 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 we have enough income that if we could ever travel, I could travel. But <laughs> Good for you. So besides being a big year birdie, you have been an author. You have, this is your third book coming out, isn't it? Tell yeah. me about, tell me about your new book and then tell me about how you, you know, decided to write books. Well, um, I originally, I, I write everything down when I'm birding. I take lots of notes. And when I did my Texas Big Year, which was the first one, I wrote it all up, hoping to publish it. And mm-hmm. I really worked trying to find a publisher. And in the process, I met the editor, the, 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 the woman that was the editor of the Natural Sciences Unit of Texas A&M University Press. And she and I, were, she's a birder, and we had a good time talking together, but they are, had already put out a big year book about Texas. And they didn't, oh. want to, they didn't want to compete with their own book. But we, you know, we remained in contact with each other. When I did my ABA big year across the U.S. and Canada, and before I did it, I told her, I'm going to do this. And, she, I, and, you know, and she said, well, we'll look at that because they didn't have a book on that. Sure. Um, so that was my first book, which is Extreme Birder, One Woman's Big Year. And so, so, I, so I wrote it up. I mean, I, already, I was writing it as the year went along on the hopes that it would, be, it would happen, and it did. And, and it's nicely done. I, as I said, I just got that book in the mail today. Yeah, I, I, I think they did it. They did an excellent job on it. And, you know, and they used my photographs, which, of course, I love. They are very nice. Yeah. <laughs> a few of my paintings. I started painting. Your painting is on the cover, isn't it? Yeah, all, all, three, all three books have my painting on the cover. Oh, um, nice. So, so they go together. But, and so anyway, I did that. And then my husband and I were celebrating the fact that we were going to get I was going to get that published. We were going, went out to eat. And he said, so what are you going to do now? And I like writing writing wise and i and i he said well you know you should do something about like rare birds that are going extinct or rare birds i'm not sure how he phrased it so my second book is based on that um it's called birds in trouble and it's about 40 species i can never remember how many i included because i kept going back and forth but it's illustrated totally with my paintings no photographs and okay and each of the birds i talk about what the problem is, like, why did I choose this book to bird to put in the book? Some of them are not so obvious. Some are, of course, whooping crane and stuff like that. But um, and then what is my experience with this bird? Now, with, with only one exception, I have seen all those endangered birds. Um, right. And so what, you know, a little story about what happened and, you know, where I went to get it, and stuff like that. And then uh, my ideas on what what you as the reader might do to make this less of a problem for this species, which may or may not be much, but you know, um, cool. you know, include give, including like giving to the hooping crane, whatever foundation, right? Whatever, right? But in some cases, you know, and then I, it includes things about what you can do in your local area for the birds generally, not just all the, the endangered ones, but you know, a little bit about that. So anyway, mm-hmm. that was that was the second book. 
but meanwhile, I'm doing big years, <laughs> and I and I then we moved to Alaska, and 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 I realized um, I hold the record still in Texas for the number of most birds seen in one year in a big year, and I also do in Alaska, and because mainly because nobody else has done one in Alaska. I mean, there are people that have through their careers have seen a lot of species in Alaska, and those are the numbers I was I worked to get better than, uh, but they they weren't people that were just out there doing a big year. And so my third, my third book is comparing doing a big year in Alaska and Texas, because there are similarities, of course, I mean, you're chasing birds and it has a sort of an account, you know, there's certain birds I saw in both states and that were rare in both states. There are birds, mm -hmm. and there's a whole section on birds that were rare in one of the states and not and, and easy to get in the other state and, and stories about all of those things. So uh, it was a fun book to write. Also, all three books are put out by Texas A&M University Press, and they all are similar, okay. similar in quality and of, of publishing. You know, I love their paper they chose. I just, I love the what, how they edit the book. So, so is your latest book available yet, or is it? Oh yeah, uh... yeah, it came out in March. Yeah, it's available. Okay. Yeah, um, and I happened. Uh, oh, so a little, a little uh, pitch for for buying it from me. I bought a bunch of them before the pandemic. I mean, I ordered and they came at the beginning of the pandemic. And I am sitting here in Alaska with a bunch of books and nowhere to go to sell them. And mm. so I, I sell the books for the same price, the list price, because I can get them for, I can't get them for as cheaply as Amazon can sell them, but I can get mm -hmm. them pretty cheaply. So they're $30 plus shipping, which comes out to about $2, two, two, I just sell them for 32 shipped anywhere to the US. Um, mm -hmm. And they're signed and I can, you know, tailor the signing to however anybody wants. So I put in a plug for that. For any, I have all three books, so you can buy any one or all three. Cool. So we'll have to talk after the podcast. I'll yeah. give you my information yeah. and get yeah. an order into that book. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, so uh, you've got three books out. And how did, how did you fall into big year birding? How did that come about? It sounds like that's been an important part of your birding career. Well, yeah, and I didn't even know what it was. In 2002, at the end of 2002, in December in Texas, I was standing on the edge of a lake with one of the other birders that I didn't know very well. And we're chatting, we're staring out with our scopes, looking at loons on, on a lake. And, and he said, sort of to make conversation, he said, oh, it's getting towards the end of the year. I need to make some trips, you know, maybe down to the Texas lower Rio Grande Valley because I always try to get 400 species in a year. I heard, although he didn't say it, 400 in Texas in a year. He meant mm -hmm. in the whole wide world, I think. Okay. Um, but so anyway, I, no, so that was the end of that conversation. And here and I thought, oh, what a cool idea. 400 species in a year in Texas. And so in the next year, which is 2003, I had that as a goal just to see 400 in Texas. And it, while mm -hmm. I was racing around and I met a guy who was doing a Texas big year, Eric Carpenter, who is an excellent birder. And he was very helpful, as, as I said, many birders are, most birders are. And so as he was winding up his serious big year and I was winding up my try to get 400 species big year, he would, we were calling and emailing each other, telling each other what birds we were seeing. And he found for me one of the last birds for my big year, my non-big year. It wasn't a big year. And, right. and it was, it was the record at the time, as I recall, was like 490 species. I got 485. He got, he broke the previous record. He got 505 species. So I was like, yes, this is, this is great fun. You know, just adrenaline. <laughs> it's a junkie type thing, you know? Sure. So, so, but when I discussed this with my husband and, and we 
thought about all the zillion miles I'd put on the car in 2003, well, I didn't do a, a big year the next year when I was raring to go to do it again the next year. But at time passed in 2005, I did, I did another Texas big year and that was my first serious big year. In the meantime, in 2004, a, another person, Howard Laidlaw has had gotten 511 species breaking Eric's record. So I was looking at 511. By the end of the year, I had 522, which is still the record to my knowledge. So at the end of that year, one of my good friends uh, in Texas birding, the Texas bird Fort Worth Audubon gave me the book by Mark Amasic, The Big Year, mm -hmm. which I knew existed and, had, and I had refused to buy because I knew exactly what it was going to be. I knew I was going to read it. I was going to go, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that, which, which is exactly what happened. And my husband and I went through and calculated just the, you know, at the current dollars per flight and rooms rental and everything I could think of what it might cost to do what the people in the big year book did. And it was ridiculous because I knew I'd have to hire guides to do anything because I didn't know anything about anything. Sure. <laughs> I mean, I thought I'd have to hire them. Turns out I didn't. But and so. My husband and I ruled out me doing one of those big years. This is now, we're now in 2006. But by 2008, I was, I was ready to go. <laughs> My husband is a, is a gentle, wonderful person. So, and he's not even listening to this. <laughs> but, um, he's an enabler. He's an enabler. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so by this time I was working for myself. I couldn't have done this, any of this, if I was not working for myself, but I just went on the road birding with my laptop and my files for my clients. And I told all of my clients before each year began, I was, I didn't tell them the gory details about how nutty a birder I was. I just said, I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling next year. So if you have anything with any known deadlines, do not wait, because if you wait till close to the deadline, we may miss it. And I, and I'm sorry about that, but that's the way it's going to be because I'll be traveling. So it, not, it all turned out fine. <laughs> we didn't miss any deadlines. And uh, so in 2008, I did my big year across the U.S. and Canada. I was the first woman to get over 700 species in one year in, the, in that area. I'm going to interrupt for a second because, you know, people who now are birders, especially young birders now, that this is before eBird became a, a real oh, phenomenon. Oh, yeah, it is. So to chase birds prior to that, you had to have networks. There were... There were listeners. You had to go individual list state listservs and look for what they other ways to get around but it wasn't like you could you could uh put up a, a an aba area needs list an hourly emails for every bird seen that you haven't seen yet this year or something like you could now so it's a different it's a different world yeah. and, and the 2016 big year that uh was so widely followed was just in a different oh, heavens yes it's altogether different scenario and frankly the possibility of uh, finding as many birds as were found in 16 in the time when you were doing it, it was just, oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah, it, yeah, I don't, if, if it was possible, somebody would have done it, but I don't. Yeah, oh, so I, your number is extraordinary. <laughs> well, I'm happy with it. And, and I'm not, I'm not, I have no intention of doing an ABA big year again. It's entirely possible if I live to be 90, I'll do a, a, a walking or a creeping or a crawling big year somewhere. But so I got and I got into big years. And when I moved to Alaska, people, oh, I was in South Dakota for a couple of years. I did a South Dakota big year. Um, there were four of us doing it, two women, two men. We all break, broke the previous record. The two men who birded together got 352 each. I got 350. Mm -hmm. And the other woman mm -hmm. got, I can't remember, 340 something. 
um, their previous record had been three thirty something. So we all, you know, we we worked. We so worked. They so all had a fabulous. Year. Yeah, we worked together until this is my opinion. Uh, the 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 two guys who were doing the big year got nervous that maybe they wouldn't be the top of the thing, and they stopped sharing information about their birds. All until then, we were all <laughs> sharing. But that's just that's just yeah. my humble opinion. It's possible they forgot to share or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it was fun. It was fun. So yeah. then I moved to Alaska. Everybody knew I did a big year and everybody kept that I met kept saying, oh, you're the one that does big year. Are you going to do Alaska big year? And I said, no, 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 no. That's too much. Try to figure that out. I can't figure that out. But I figured it out. You ate those words, didn't yeah. you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I, I want one thing I ask all of my guests is how did you get started in birding? Now, we're going back a ways, but I, I read in your book that you started birding as a seven-year-old. So obviously it's a child. How did that happen and who was influential and how'd you become a bird? Okay. When I was about five, my parents moved. They bought an old rundown farm, 160 acre farm in Wisconsin, um, in the middle of, you know, flat land, Wisconsin, right in the center of the state. And the the, the rundown farm had these road, sort of, you know, off-road roads around the fields for the you know, farm machinery to plant the alfalfa and the corn and stuff that had been there. And it was, I have a sister and my, my little sister and I would go walking in all these places. Um, and my first memory of a bird uh, is along one of these lanes as, that went around the fields. Around, they were growing up along the edges with uh, what we call hazel brush. I'm not sure what it was really. And we're walking along and this bird dove across right in front of me and into one of these thick bushes on the side of the thing. And I thought, what is that? And I went over there and I found a nest. And, and the bird, thank God, was a very distinctive bird that was a reddish brown with a long tail and spots on its tummy in Wisconsin. That is a brown thrasher. And, sure. and so, so that's my first bird memory. The reason I know that I was birding by age seven is that my parents, who were wonderfully keeping all our little children's things, I had a little spiral bound notebook where I wrote down birds like bluebird, meadowlark. You know, I, they were, you know, no details, <laughs> but that little book mm -hmm. was dated and it was when I was seven. So I, sometime at, by age seven, I was, I was keeping track of the birds. I, I'm a, I'm a nutty lister. I also kept track of all the movies we saw, all the books I read. And so birding fell into my love of listing perfectly. <laughs> you're, you're a collector of lists. From yeah, I, mean, I don't have the other lists, but I have the bird ones. <laughs> cool. Uh, and so you, you uh, did you get fall in with a group of birders nope. uh, who nurtured you through your childhood or just I kind of were on your own? I meet anyone who's interested in birds other than my parents who were because I was, I was um, until I went to college. I met no one. So oh. growing up in Wisconsin, one of the people that books that I read were uh, like Sand County Almanac, um, John Muir type stuff. And, mm -hmm. and just reading about natural history from people like that. And I, I found out about the Audubon Society and I, and I went to the library and, and studied the Audubon magazines and made plans that someday I'm going to see, go here. Someday I'm going to go here. And I've gone many, many places. Mm -hmm. it's, I, you know, not big years. I've been all over the world a lot. So Very nice. Well, super cool. You have been uh, a, a, a wonderful guest. Uh, really fun to hear about your big year experiences. That's just been spectacular. I like to uh, get a couple of other things towards the end of a podcast. What what does the future hold for you in birding? What do, where are there places you want to go, or what what are your uh, you know what I are your aspirations? The pandemic somehow lets us wander sure. around. I mean, I just want to explore more of Alaska. 
in 2009, I, I mentioned my paintings. I started painting birds and I, I paint them from my photographs. I, as, a, as a patent copyright type attorney, I know not, I don't want to copy anybody else's photographs. So the only way I can paint sure. a bird that looks realistic is to have taken a photograph of it myself. So I wanted to, I mean, St. Paul Island is so spectacular. I just want to take 8,000 million pictures there again. There's just a lot of things. I want to go places where I can see birds and, and take good photographs. I don't have that good a camera because I don't need it to be publishable photo. I needed a photo that shows the bird <laughs> that, that I can paint. Right, right. Very cool. Uh, and uh, I also like to give my guests a chance to give a shout out to something. Are there any causes or things that you, you're really passionate about that you want people to know about and maybe support? Um, the, the things that come to mind mainly are, are the American Bird Conservancy, which I support, National Audubon, and really any organization. I mean, there are many local organizations that, that, that are conservancies that, that find land that is good for birds and buy it up. I think supporting that, you know, many local Audubon chapters that are, if they're big enough and have a budget like, or, you know, or state bird groups like the Texas Ornithological Society, they raise money and they buy up land to make reserves of some kind. Um, I think that's a very good cause to support anywhere. And, and you know, you can find one in your area if, often, many places. Very cool. Uh, I you, I saw in your resume that, or on your book or somewhere that you were the president of the Texas uh, Ornithological Society for a while. Before we moved away, as a matter of fact, I my husband moved before I did because I didn't want to leave before my term of as president was up. So so I stayed back in Texas for an extra five months. <laughs> very uh, very dedicated uh, volunteer there. <laughs> that's that's uh, impressive. Uh, so, Lynn, you had mentioned that you have some copies of books. I'll make sure that I put both in the podcast notes right below where people find okay. the podcast and in the blog post that I put up for each guest uh, exactly how they can reach out to you to uh, ask for a copy of your book to be sent to them. But what, for listeners who are more auditory <laughs> focused, how would how would somebody get a hold of you to buy a copy? I think of the you? best way is by email. Um, as long as they put in the subject line, you know, I want your book or something like it isn't. I know it's not sure John, no, it's not John. and my email address is very strange but it, it'll make sense if i explain how it was derived in, in the thousand okay. years ago when aol was about the only place you could have an email and my husband and i didn't think we would need multiple email accounts we got a joint email account his name is his name is mm -hmm. david so the email okay. address is da for david and then ly for lynn and then our last okay. name is Barber. So B-A-R for Barber. So it's dailybar at AOL.com. Okay. AOL well, that makes more sense. I, I thought you were a, a Dairy Queen fan. It was Dillybar. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, not, no, no it was, it, and I kept that one. My, and I have other email accounts and my husband has email accounts, but that's the one I, I, I check most regularly. So that would be. So Dallybar yes. at AOL. Okay. So read listeners, uh, send the Lynn an email and, uh, uh, she will get back to you about how you can buy a copy of her latest book on birding Texas, big ear birding in Texas yeah, and Alaska. And if, if they want to actually bird in Alaska, assuming we all get to do that again, you know, I'm on the Anchorage Audubon board and, and there are a lot of people we, and we love to take people around and show them in Anchorage. If you're, most flights will stop here in Anchorage for a while. And, and so people want to bird around. There's, there's, there's plenty of birders around here. We'd be happy to take them around. So that's a, a generous volunteer, uh, 
opportunity. I am hoping to fly to Anchorage sometime in the next few years. I will definitely hit you yeah, up when I do that. Go to Anchorage Audubon if you can't find me because they 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 will contact somebody to, to work with you. So Beautiful. Lynn, thanks so much. I really appreciate you being a guest today. You, too. you take care. Right. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that wraps up the Bird Banter Podcast, episode number 79 with Lynn Barber. Make sure you reach out to Lynn, get a copy of her book, as I made a comment on the episode and in the podcast notes and on the blog post that will accompany this on the birdbanter.com website. There will be information on how you can get a signed copy direct from Lynn, help her out do that, or you can always order it on Amazon or wherever, but she's got some copies she's trying to get rid of, so give her a call, uh, shout her up on email, whatever. Uh, Anyway, thanks for listening. Until next time, good birding. Good day.